Welcome to our panel discussion on the benefits and cost savings of tele-rehab and PT direct access. Musculoskeletal disorders affect one in every two Americans, costing $213 billion a year in the United States. And they are also the number one cause of disability worldwide. With all of our advancements in medicine and technology, the cost and disability rates of MSDs continue to escalate. Our panel today is a group of providers that are not only focused on the innovative ways to reduce musc the musculoskeletal epidemic, but also have proven results. And they will discuss their successes as well as their challenges. Without further ado, let me introduce these amazing clinicians. Dr. Ron Donaldson, he's an orthopedic surgeon as well as a well-known published researcher, national speaker, and owner of Self Care First. Heidi Oja, college professor in physical therapy, current owner of Aware Health, a tele-rehab company, and has published two research articles on PT direct access. Dr. Alice Bell has over 38 years of practice as a physical therapist. She is on staff as a senior payment specialist in public affairs for the APTA or the American Physical Therapy Association. She has presented at many national conferences and is heavily involved in telehealth for the APTA. And myself, Aideen Turner. I'm also a physical therapist as well as owner of Virtual Physical Therapist. So let's first start with Dr. Donaldson. Dr. Donaldson, you have devoted um, your life to addressing the musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal epidemic. Not, not only have you published numerous research articles, but you are also well known as a national and international speaker on improved outcomes utilizing the mechanical assessment or MDT. Can you give us a brief overview of MDT and go into more detail about your most recent published article showing some amazing outcomes of MDT versus traditional care? Well, MDT, mechanical diagnosis and therapy, one of its uniquenesses is it starts with an evaluation that determines the treatment. So unlike so many physical therapy uh, approaches that are about treatment, this is about diagnosis or at least classifying patients into different subgroups for which there are specific treatments. And that's, that's what originally attracted me to this particular type of care. I was previously a sports medicine surgeon. And for 30 years now, I've been a non-surgical specialist, primarily because of MDT. So it is its uniqueness is in its assessment and its ability to subgroup patients into categories for which there are some uh, surprisingly successful treatments. Uh, I've recently published an article uh, about the cost effectiveness of treating in this way. And this was uh, in a workplace setting, employees and their dependents uh, with low back pain, uh, even though we were evaluating all musculoskeletal conditions in that particular program, the study itself focused on low back pain. And patients or employees with low back pain were given the choice to go out in the community for care or to come to a, uh, an employer clinic where MDT, a uh, very high level quality MDT was delivered. 
and we had access to the uh, claims data for both groups. And that it was so. This was really an administrative uh, data uh, analysis, and we followed these patients for a year after their presentation for care of low back pain, and uh, we found that uh, the care for the MDT uh, subgroup uh, was 50% less cost than going out in the community. And that that included a 40% reduction in uh, epidural injections, a 50% reduction in MRIs, and a 78% reduction in surgeries. And so that, that change in the downstream expensive interventions was the biggest part of the cost savings. And so that uh, uh, that was a remarkable finding, and that is not inconsistent with what uh, most MDT clinicians find in their own practice. Absolutely, that those those outcomes are absolutely amazing. So, do you feel that a physical therapist has the training to be the gatekeeper gatekeeper for musculoskeletal disorders? Uh, yes, although I put a qualifying. It depends on their training. Uh, some are trained much better to do so, that than others. Uh, but those that have had MDT training, mechanical diagnosis and therapy training, are exceptionally qualified. Uh, and in fact, they often find things uh, in their evaluation that are missed by the physicians that referred them. And uh, so in, in my experience, they are superior to most, clinic, most physicians uh, if they have that particular training. Oh, okay. Dr. Bell, as a staff member of the American Physical Therapy Association, would you explain what is PT direct access and what is the APTA stance on both direct access and telept? Absolutely, Aideen. Thank you. So direct access simply means the removal of the physician referral mandated by state law to access physical therapist services. Um, for both evaluation and treatment. And for many years, we've had direct access provision. At this point in time, every state, the District of Columbia and the US Virgin Islands allow some level of access to physical therapists directly. Uh, th there's still unfortunately some arbitrary limitations state by state. Uh, it may, there may be some restrictions on continued treatment, uh, but definitely from an evaluation standpoint. APT, APTA believes very strongly, and we have for some time, that an individual's uh, ability to make decisions about their health care is good policy. And we also know that individuals who, for who care is delayed unnecessarily have um, more challenges, outcomes are not as good, and we see much more consumption of high-cost services that could be avoided. As Dr. Donaldson said, um, when we look specifically at patients with low back pain, we see um, a much more higher incidence of unnecessary imaging, surgery, exposure to opioids, uh, just to name a few. Uh, pa patients, individuals who are able to access a physical therapist directly and early have better outcomes uh, with many of these unnecessary services avoided. And I would just like to point out as well that at this point in time, uh, MDT is, is part of the curricula for every physical therapist. Um, certainly, we know there's variation in practice and APTA works very diligently 
um, through the development of clinical practice guidelines. And we now have an outcomes registry where we're collecting data uh, to work on the standardization of practice so that we see less variation. But we know based on um, some recent studies, one was the uh, United Healthcare Optum study, that simply seeing a physical therapist first, uh, regardless of that training, reduces cost. Now, obviously, we want to get to the point where patients see the right therapist first. Um, that's the ultimate goal. And that's why it's so important that we start to collect objective data on outcomes and not look only on at cost as the measure of performance for providers. Telerehab, real quick, um, is basically a well-defined and established method of health service delivery. Uh, APTA supports the inclusion of physical therapist services in telehealth policy and regulation on the national and state level to help society address the growing cost of health services, the disparity in accessibility of health services and the potential impact of health workforce shortages. We also support advancement of PT, telehealth practice, education and research to enhance the quality um, and the accessibility of PT services. And very importantly, we support the expansion of broadband access to provide all members of society an opportunity. What we saw with the, the um, public health emergency and the pandemic is many of the patients who had challenges accessing in-person therapy had challenges with virtual therapy because they're in remote areas. Uh, they don't have access to broadband services. So we have to address kind of both sides of this coin and make sure that access issue is uh, is resolved. Oh, okay. That's great. Heidi, um, going back to direct access first, you published two research articles looking at the cost effectiveness cost effectiveness of direct access. What did you find? Yeah, so this topic is really um, near and dear to my heart. I am very passionate about this. And from my background teaching um, direct access in a university setting, I um, really kind of study the research on this. And uh, that kind of propelled me to do some research of my own to kind of look at outcomes. And so we did a systematic review that found great B recommendation that cost to the patient or insurance company per physical therapy episode of care was last when patients saw a physical therapist directly through a physician um, versus um, through a physician referral. So similar to what Alice was saying, referral would be a script or a referral is written and, and the, the patient is sent to physical therapy through that the physician referral. So what the study found was um, grade B recommendation, like I said, um, that there were less costs. And this was likely due to less imaging ordered, injections performed, um, medications prescribed. And um, I think it's an interesting study. I, you know, with systematic reviews, you can't make definite conclusions oftentimes because different studies look at different outcome measures. But um, I think there's definitely some evidence across multiple studies that cost can be less when patients seek a physical therapist directly. Um, they also mentioned um, no harm was reported. So that was kind of on the side. And I know we might chat about that a little bit later. Um, and so that kind of led me to publish um, or conduct, get funding for conduct and publish another study. And um, 
if you think about the first study for the systematic review, all of these studies are looking at patients who self-select to see a physical therapist because a lot of the study designs were retrospective. So if I make the decision, I want to go see a physical therapist, um, I was thinking that those outcomes might be different than if you just randomize a random group of individuals to get physician care or physical therapist care, because um, seeing a physical therapist, you might want to see a physician. <laughs> Seeing a physician, you might want to see a physical therapist. So um, the second study was a little bit different because it was asking if people are given physical therapy first, are they okay with that? And, um, and so looking at those two groups, um, there was no difference in cost in our study. Um, there was a difference looking retrospectively at cost, although we didn't officially analyze that in our study. Um, we mentioned it in the discussion. But the main takeaway is that um, seeing a physician or a physical therapist um, direct access led to the same outcomes and no difference in harm between groups. And so that's, that's really the take home message. Even if somebody gets physical therapy and they maybe prefer to see a physician um, randomizing those uh, employees, this was a study done at Temple University. So randomizing those employees to the two groups there seemed to be no difference in outcomes or harm and, um, and as well as cost. Okay. Well, and all of us are in telehealth. So now that co now we're post COVID things have changed. So now if we combine and where that's what we're seeing direct access ability to see somebody right away for your musculoskeletal problem. Can you guys tell me what you've seen since COVID? Um, is there, has there been, a, has telehealth impacted the traditional way we treat musculoskeletal disorders? What is your personal opinion? So what have you seen? So I'll start if that's, um, and, and I will clarify that I am not a clinician practicing tele, in telehealth, but as um, a staff member of the APTI, I'm interacting on a daily basis with, uh, with physical therapists who are doing so. And I think this is an access issue. Um, just as direct access is. And the sooner that we can engage patients and get the most appropriate care for them, first, make the most appropriate diagnosis, and second, uh, provide the most appropriate care, the better off everyone is, the patient, <laughs> the payer, the community at large, the employer. And so what telehealth has done, and it was highlighted through the pandemic, because quite honestly, for in many cases, 100% of patients, the only point of access was telehealth. Uh, and so it became critical that we this be the means by which we address individual needs. Now, as we're seeing things change and patients return to the clinic, there is still a subset of the population where this is the access uh, resolution. And for a variety of reasons, whether it's inclement weather or travel or caregiver burden, or um, patients with anxiety leaving their homes, whatever it might be. So we know that getting access is critical, early access is critical. And if we have the option to address the access issue via telehealth, that is very important. We have to maintain that ability to address the needs universally of patients. So telehealth is, telerehab is here to stay, it sounds like. 
Um, and going further into that topic, we had such a big presence during COVID. Um, we had over 20, our company had over 25,000 visits. So now we, are, we can see some outcomes. The biggest thing that sticks out is satisfaction. Patients loved it. They were shocked by it. And so did the clinicians. So both sides like the benefits of telehealth, tele-rehab. Um, and just some of the outcomes that we saw or the numbers that we have now, under our biggest um, population was workers' comp. The visits, the average visits was 7.1, a 58% reduction from traditional care. They were 30%, 36% faster return to work rates as well. On the group health side, our average visits were only 3.9, 75% reduction, and self-pay 2.2. Now, a whole different group, we're going to have a panel discussion on why we get different visits for different payment methods, workers' comp, group health versus self-pay, but we can kind of figure some things out. Um, but more importantly, why are the numbers so much better? And looking through what we found, um, you know, our clinicians for workers' comp, we did do a prescription. We had to have a prescription under the workers' comp realm. But for group, the group health side and the self-pay, that was direct access. And the clinicians, being a gatekeeper, they are able to diagnose or find out that root cause of symptoms. But the biggest thing I think that's changed with telehealth is patient empowerment. Um, so instead of me fixing you, I now have to be the educator. I'm not gonna fix you. I'm gonna teach you how to fix yourself. And that's a big part of MDT. One patient, this was probably three and a half years ago. I always talk about this patient. Um, I was new to telehealth three and a half, four years ago. Um, and I had a patient that I, when I'm, and you don't know what kind of patient you're going to get until you start evaluating him. He was a 25 year old with a crush injury An 85 pound brick fell into his, his foot. His, he was told he went to the doc, you know, uh, he went to the doctor. He was told to stay in bed, leave his foot elevated. I saw him four months later. So four months later, he's been sitting on his couch with his foot elevated, has not put a sock on, has not put a shoe on has not put his foot on the ground. So the first thing I see is the RPS, mm -hmm. the blotchy, the still swollen, three times bigger than it should be, no hair compared to the other side, blotchy. I thought this is not appropriate for telehealth. He needs hands-on to desensitize, get him moving, you know, as soon as possible. But here he is in front of me, so I have to evaluate him. I have to teach him what to do because I can't do it. I can't put my hand on him. I can't make him weight bear. So that's what we did. That's what we did. That's part of the MDT is empower that patient. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him a couple things to do, but we need to transfer this patient to an outpatient clinic where he can get proper care. So I told him immediately, you have to start lightly rubbing your foot. You couldn't even touch it. And right now you got to put that foot on the ground. Every two hours, you have to put your foot on the ground and put a little bit of weight on it. During our first evaluation, he wasn't touching the ground. Next day, I call, uh, we always do a 24-hour call follow-up just to make sure everything's okay, especially with tele-rehab. And he said, I'm actually was able to put my foot lightly on the ground. And I said, great. In my mind, he's still got to get transferred to a manual clinician. But yeah, I'm going to do one follow-up visit so I can finish my note, have the reasons why he needs to be transferred. Believe it or not, three days later, because instead of coming into our clinic, 
where I was helping him for an hour, three times a week. Power rehab made him do all the work, empowered him, put him in the driver's seat. He was putting his foot on the grounds every two hours. Three days later, he was able to put a little bit of weight in the, into his foot. So my mind, I was, I was like, whoa, let me step back. We're actually making progress. Let me do one more visit. And then one more visit. The outcome was amazing. A normal CRPS patient, everybody knows, uh, you know, will they ever get back to function? It's a, it's a hard call. 18 visits later, he was back to work. He had a boot, get his work boot on. It took us a lot of visits, but it's amazing. The most important thing I think coming out of teller rehab is emp empowering the patient, reducing their fear. Now, for the group, what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses of tele-rehab? Again, what I thought was a weakness was the hands-on, but now that the more patients I treat, the more I realize that that's actually not being able to do your hands-on may actually go into the strength category rather than the weakness. But I want to hear from everybody else what they have encountered. Dr. Let Donaldson. Let me just expand on that. I think one of the reasons that you're so successful is that your evaluation, whether it's this particular patient or your routine low back patient or any other musculoskeletal patient, MDT, when it's part of telehealth, is unique in that it doesn't require any equipment, it doesn't require hands-on, uh, it's all based on the patient reporting of their symptom response to test movements. And so it doesn't require any things that we any of the things we typically uh, attach to physical therapy. And so it can be done beautifully in a virtual setting. Uh, unlike most other physical therapy approaches that do require some hands-on or some kind of equipment. And so any, any telehealth that, that involves MDT has a big advantage over other types of telehealth therapy. And so it's a net and telehealth is a natural uh, outgrowth of MDT. And uh, the data that I've seen in the folks like yourself and the folks at IMC, uh, Integrative Mechanical Musculoskeletal Care, uh, their data is as good virtually as it is face to face uh, because there's not, there's very little compromise when you do it virtually. So what I'm hearing is, Clinicians that are trained, they can be the gatekeeper for musculoskeletal. They can have just as good, sometimes even better outcomes. So Heidi, what, you also have a tele-rehab company. What have you found? What has your been, have you been shocked of what you thought your biases before tele-rehab? And then once you start treating patients, you start to, wow, we can do also do this. What have you found? Yeah, so I was seeing um, private clients mobile in my neighborhood, just driving to their house and delivering care. And I actually started Aware Health before COVID. <laughs> um, anybody that was on anybody's radar, and um, a lot of people are telling me like it's too early for um, telehealth and. And so I started this company anyhow, and um, it definitely took us some time to get off the ground, but. Um, COVID most definitely paved the way for it. And um, I think it's been interesting. We see all conditions over telehealth, whether it's headache, shoulder pain, toe pain, 
um, as well as spinal um, conditions. And um, we do it direct access, um, working with employees of companies. And it's not through work comp, it's through medical benefits side. Mm -hmm. And it's been an interesting experience. Like I, my training has been in manual therapy, um, as well as subgroup classification is very similar to what Dr. Donaldson is, is referring to. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, having uh, the inability to just do a manipulation with a, a patient on the table, um, it's definitely, it's different um, type of care, but I think there's that mentality that we've always been trying to promote with our um, patients or employees, which is um, we're more of like a coach role instead of we're fixing you. And um, they feel empowered and, you know, when they improve and uh, I'm like, well, you know, no hands. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a hand that, that um, basically got them to the other side of their problems? So um, I think it's important that we still go through the same clinical decision making that we would do in the clinic. And, um, you know, you would mention before, are we capable of making a diagnosis? And I think that diagnosis needs to be made um, not, not made, but some of the more serious pathology screened up front. And so uh, I think standard physical therapy curriculums now it's mandated that they include that for accreditation purposes and um, making sure that cancer is not being referred to the back. Um, if it's traumatic injury using Ottawa knee rules, Ottawa ankle rules, it's been a little bit of a test for me to see if we can really do that over telehealth. And um, we typically draw the region on a skeleton on a screen, and then they outline the areas and palpate for themselves. And um, I think it's important to go through that process. And also when it comes to um, subgroup classification, like MDT is kind of a, a version of that. Um, you know, it's the same thought process, same decision-making, um, the cases that someone has reduced range of motion in the shoulder where they have only 90 degrees and they have a frozen shoulder. It's like, well, can I do this over telehealth? And, um, they, they've been achieving really good results, active, yeah. passive. And so it's kind of like making me check my biases coming into this, similar to what you were saying, Aideen. Yes. And, um, I think. Yeah, it's so it's all self-mobilization. You tell the patient what to do. You have them hold the shoulder, push mm -hmm. toward the ground in supine, and then retest the range of motion, use the goniometer through the screen. And, you know, it's uh, kind of like we would do it in the clinic. So I think as long as you go through the differential diagnosis up front and then make a subgroup classification and um, have a clear line of decision-making and kind of use the manual therapy techniques, but the, it's the patient's hands instead of your hands, then it works out quite well. So we're evolving. Our field is revolving. I'm going to go back, yes, to, to Dr. Bell. Physical therapy is evolving. And it sounds like our education programs are evolving to address this. Yes. And they have been for several years. And, you know, and I would also say as as Heidi said, there were many therapists already practicing using telehealth prior to the public health emergency. It was just kind of an impetus for broader adoption. I, there's just a couple of points I'd like to make. One is, we're, I, I, I think the question of telehealth 
is not a diagnosis specific. It's in, it's individual. And I think it's the responsibility of every, every therapist to know what that individual patient's needs are. And I, I always want to kind of just keep us grounded in the fact that the decision about what care we deliver and how that care is delivered has to be very individualized to that patient, their specific needs. Physical therapy is a broad and diverse profession. And there are many patients for whom telehealth will never be the answer. Um, but there are many patients for whom it most definitely is. And we are going to learn as we go and the more objective data we can collect, the better. The other point though, that I would like to make that I think is really important for us to consider, and this kind of goes back to the direct access discussion, is that we need to keep in mind that for many patients during the public health emergency, cost sharing was waived. And so they didn't have to pay deductibles and co-pays. And we know that when cost sharing is waived, regardless of the mode of delivery of care, more patients see PTs first, more patients have better outcomes, and there's lower cost of care. It's why we've seen United Healthcare um, waive cost sharing for patients with low back pain to incentivize them to see physical therapists. It's why we're seeing uh, TRICARE and the VA do the same thing. And so I think when we say, you know, why were so many patients more satisfied with telehealth? Why did we see such better engagement and participation? Part of it may be that we, we removed one of the big barriers to patient accessing physical therapy, whether that be virtually or in person. We need to think about the lessons we learned from the pandemic. It's not just the exposure of telehealth, but it's the ability to access a therapist um, in a more effective and efficient way. And early access to that yes. clinician as well. I think that's the main reason. And we all know that research has shown that early access to that yeah. PT has the best outcome versus yeah. you know, direct access six months later is not as effective. Right. Um, and going back to, to the point about the diagnosis, and, and I always, people always ask, you can't diagnose cancer. No, I can't. And a physical therapist can't. The right. only thing we can do is diagnose what's mechanical, hopefully, from non-mechanical pain. If it's mechanical, I can treat it. It's musculoskeletal. I know how to treat it. If it's non-mechanical, that means, you know, if someone has low back pain and I move that back and I can't reproduce it, I can't treat that. That's something else is going on. So all I know is I have to send them back to the doctor because it's numb. It's not, it's out of my realm. I can't diagnose anything else other than that musculoskeletal mechanical problem. And that's why it's, it's that simple. I move the patient. If I can reproduce their pain, I can treat it. If I can't, then more than likely it's referred from something else. It makes my life very easy. It's out of my realm. That's when it goes back to the doctor. And that's how simple it is. So the people that are always nervous about that, therapists can't diagnose, you know, all these different things. No, we can't, but we know we can diagnose musculoskeletal mechanical problems. Anything well, that and I would even, I'm sorry, I would even go beyond that. I mean, we can make diagnoses outside the musculoskeletal system as well. We are movement specialists. And so you look at neuromuscular performance, cardiovascular performance, yeah. um, but our diagnosis is different. You know, we make diagnoses based on establishing a label for kind of a cluster of signs and symptoms that are gathered through our examination and evaluation. And part of that examination and evaluation is some differential diagnosis. To your point, to say, this presentation isn't consistent 
with a condition that would be within the scope of my practice. And so my responsibility then is to engage other providers and make sure the patient gets a full and complete workup. But we do diagnose. It is a fundamental part of our practice. Um, by state law, we are authorized to diagnose within the context context of our professional scope of practice. And um, we can't do anything without diagnosing, right? How could we possibly know what is an appropriate course of care without making a diagnosis? And, and that's a specific physical therapy diagnosis, not a medical diagnosis. But we are responsible for finding out when the patient is appropriate um, for the patient's condition is one that we can manage and when we need to engage other providers. And I would just point out that professional liability insurers and the Federation of the State Board of Physical Therapy affirm that direct access does not jeopardize health, safety, and welfare of clients. And if anything, I think as Dr. Donaldson said, for many patients, they do much better um, receiving a diagnosis from a PT um, in certain scopes. Mm -hmm. And going back to tele-rehab now, since um, what since COVID-19, what do you see as still some obstacle to tele-rehab? Eddie, do you I want to start? Think, <laughs> oh. I think you could look at what are the obstacles to telehealth, or you could look at the question, what are the obstacles to telehealth physical therapy? Because <laughs> those uh -huh. are two different questions. Um, but I'm assuming you meant the latter. And so mm -hmm. I'll just kind of share my thoughts on that. I think it's, it's really tough to change culture within companies um, and of the individuals of those companies. And, um, you know, we routinely get employees that have an injection scheduled with our orthopedic surgeon next week. And, um, you know, we have to really uh, reverse kind of their thought processes of possibly even needing that and then get, you know, they basically a lot of times improve so much that they cancel that injection appointment. And, um, and uh, others have a sports med appointment scheduled where it's um, last time I went to sports med, they did surgery. I'm so much better. I know this is surgical. It's not muscular. I know I need surgery. Um, so I've made that appointment already, but I'm reaching out to you because we incentivize with gift cards in our company um, just to really get them to try us out. You know, people think PT is not going to work. Telehealth is not going to work. Um, but it's like, you know, it's how many different ways can we approach this topic to give them all their options and then allow them to choose ultimately what they want to do. But, um, you know, just kind of having those conversations and, and changing that culture in, in the company, um, is been really interesting, but, um, there's many times where they have something scheduled, they have it set in their mind, this one particular case with knee pain and going to sports med, um, you know, he was better in a week, which is not me because, you know, people just need to realize that things go away over time. Like you don't need to do anything. You know, I gave him a couple of range of motion exercises, but, um, you know, he was like better in a week and then he didn't need that surgical consult. And, um, so oftentimes it's kind of getting to them early, um, maybe even incentivizing them somehow. And Alice mentioned removing financial barriers. And I think, um, you know, even kind of 
giving them a drip campaign or, or feed regularly over email to engage them. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. <laughs> I can just tell you from my perspective and, um, so but, to the, um, yeah. the, we, we've had a lot of engagement. There's like 200 in our pilot and, um, more than 75 have reached out for care. So most of them are like, I'm so surprised this worked because, you know, they don't have very high expectations of telehealth. So, mm-hmm. so the strengths then of tele-rehab, um, I think we've kind of talked about it. It's quicker, faster access to a clinician. And we all know from research that the faster you have access, the patient gets access and learns about their injury and can be empowered, the better their outcomes will be. I think the biggest reasons we're reducing that fear. What would you say are the weaknesses of tele-rehab then? What are some of those weaknesses? So I would say, um, I'm not sure that it's a weakness of tele-rehab per se, but it might go back a little bit more to your barrier. I'd say two things is that it's not the solution for everyone. Uh, you know, and so we we sometimes get into these kind of all or nothing and pendulum swings that it is, it is a, uh, and it is a responsibility of a pr- practitioner, as I said before, to make that determination. Is this the right uh, patient, is this the right situation? Is this the right time in their episode of care? I, I think APTA looks at this as often more of a hybrid opportunity where we can really extend our reach into a patient's environment, which is so important for physical therapists to not just understand what's happening with that patient, but understand what's happening when they try to execute in their own environment. You both spoke about this. You know, our job is to empower, to create a sense of self-efficacy, to make sure that patients ultimately gain or regain control over the management of their own condition. And so being able to really kind of reach in and touch that patient where they are uh, and understand is a benefit, but it's not, it's not the solution for everyone. There are many barriers, whether it be the ability to use technology, uh, whether it be the need for hands-on care, which exists for many, many patients. Um, but I will go back. I think the one thing that is going to be challenging for us as we move out of the pandemic is that the, you know, the floodgates opened because many waivers eliminated regulation, legislation, payer policy. That's all due to come back um, when this pandemic ends. So we need legislative action. APTA is sponsor, co-sponsoring two bills right now on the floor to, to try to ensure that we can continue to reach patients in this way. We need changes in payer policy that are permanent. Um, the vast majority of these policies are temporary right now. And so if we're not going to, you know, go just fall back, um, which would be really a, a huge disservice to many patients that we serve, um, we have to be strong advocates for permanent policy changes. We also have many therapists who've practiced telehealth in an artificial environment. They're not um, being constrained by some of the HIPAA standards. They're not using technology that's compliant. And so there's an investment that's going to need to be made. And physical therapists, unlike physicians, have not been supported in um, getting assistance to engage with these technologies and, and put them into practice. So there are a lot of things we're going to have to overcome in the transition from what has been kind of a pseudo telehealth environment from a regulation and legislation standpoint to a permanent telehealth environment. Yeah. 
I, you know, it's, I get the question all the time that you first brought up is it's specific to each patient and most employers or most insurance carriers ask me, well, what diagnosis should we carve out? And yeah. it's not at all. Like I, yeah. some are like, oh, no surgical. I'm like, no, 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 surgical's yeah. fine. Or, yeah. and I used to say balance, you know, if someone has a high, but now I'm even going because of COVID I'm taking that one away. Yeah. And so you nailed it. It's, the person it's the is it the right time they have to make that decision and the patients that to me that just aren't right for telerehab are the ones that you know it's their personality that's just they want that hands-on they need that hands-on at this point in time and they should have that option if they can if they're out in a rural community maybe we are the only thing um then that's when we can see yes we can still do those things we didn't know we could do because they have constraints for the only thing they have um and we're seeing great success from that Another one that I said was, you know, they need that community, uh, they need that therapist hands-on was our chronic patients. The patients that injuries are two years old. I personally carved them out. And then I had an employer that was giving me two years out and we found out and all my clinicians were coming back to me saying, guess what? He had, he's had a back injury. That's two and a half years old, three years old. He's been out of work. He's doing great. He's walking now. He has baby steps because it's one-on-one. So it's amazing. And we, I got to meet their cat and I met their dog and the, I'm with them. If he's scared about bending outside. So when cutting wood, so he took me with them because mm -hmm. it's digital. So mm -hmm. things are, we're evolving so much, but it really is who's not appropriate for tele-rehab. It's an individual thing. Mm -hmm. And more than it, I always say it's not a diagnosis thing anymore. Even balance is things that we thought we couldn't do. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. We're oh. go ahead. Hi. No, just to kind of um, add quickly, um, probably the number one reason people don't reach out to us on telehealth so far is they go to the chiropractor down the street. And I'm totally on board with good, you know, uh, evidence-based chiropractors because there's many in Optum and other organizations. Um, I think the ones that I've particularly been hearing about are um, describing diagnosis and an alignment um, kind of uh, philosophy. And, um, it's been a bit of a struggle to, um, decrease fear and increase ability to load and without an SI joint going out because it's out of alignment. Um, I'm kind of getting a lot of that just talking. So I think, you know, some people have very clear ideas of what's going to help and what's not going to help. And so just understanding that, and, you know, it's like with any treatment, um, if you really have a strong belief in acupuncture, it's going to work better for you, just um, specific treatment effects. And so, you know, I think it's the same thing with telehealth. If you're dead set against it, it's probably not going to work as well for you as if you're really, um, open to that idea and, um, especially make that connection over video call with the therapist treating you. Yep. And we're going to wrap it up with one last question. Where do you see tele-rehab over the next five to 10 years? Who wants to start with that question? Dr. Donaldson. Where do you see tele-evaluation in the next 10 years? Uh, to me, rehab is a treatment. And I'm all about trying to find out what's going on with the patient. Mm -hmm. So whether it's your two-year-old to your duration patient that you tend not to uh, think you can help, I'd say you got to evaluate that patient mm -hmm. to know, to tell you whether you can treat them or not. Yep. Uh, I've seen many patients that are symptomatic for two or three years. And in the first couple of visits, they have a directional preference and, the, and 
they explore that and the, and the pain starts to subside and they recover amazingly fast considering how long they've had their symptoms. So I think where we want to go is let's let's standardize and even require a, an evaluation. And in, in my bias, of course, based on the data that I've seen and published is the MDT assessment is outstanding. And as your first decision maker, can I even treat this person? Do they have a reversible problem? And then you can start talking about the treatment. And so, and that same goes with telemedicine. Uh, I, I don't particularly like the term telerehab because it implies treatment. Mm -hmm. We don't know if we can treat that patient until we evaluate them. Great point. Great point. I would just, yeah. And I would just like to add in, um, in respect uh, to, to Dr. Donaldson, I, I just think we need to be very careful because rehabilitation, the profession of physical therapy is founded in evaluation. Uh, and so rehabilitation isn't constrained to treatment. It is, uh, if, if we are going to effectively address the rehabilitative needs or the habilitative needs of an individual, we have to do a complete and thorough examination, evaluation, prognosis, diagnosis. Um, and only then can we even consider uh, in, in combination with the patient understanding their goals, values, desires, and needs, develop a plan of treatment. And anyone who's getting an intervention without an appropriate examination um, is not receiving rehabilitation. Uh, we as professionals cannot engage a patient in treatment until we have done all of those initial steps to determine their needs and their diagnosis. And I, I totally agree with that. In the marketplace, however, physical therapy is viewed as a treatment. There's all kinds of treatments that are part of physical therapy. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, Dr. Donaldson, in the sense that unfortunately, based on our CPT coding structure, we look at things we look at things interventionally rather than across the broad scope of the profession. And and I think you are correct. And it it has created some of the problems we have with direct access and some of the problems we have with telehealth in this perception that physical therapists are not doing this comprehensive examination. And it takes us back to the days, and quite honestly, we are still in the days where some physicians are writing prescriptive orders uh, that limit the therapist's capacity to actually provide the care that's necessary for the patient, and the therapist has to go back and get those orders changed. Dr. Donaldson brought up a great point that we do need to emphasize the evaluation part of physical therapy. Yeah. Because yes. right now, the biggest tele-rehab companies are not using clinicians really to evaluate. Yeah. Your coaches are doing most of those treatments. So, and I have a big problem with the label physical therapy on that. So I agree with Dr. Donaldson in the sense that Physical therapists evaluate and treat, but that di that diagnosis, that evaluation, and with MDT, we reevaluate each yes. and every visit. Yes, that's not being done in a lot of the platforms that we see where rehab is going, and that's where we're starting to break off the rehab. Um, all the big companies out there that are doing tele rehab are missing that diagnosis piece. And that's how I mean, everybody asks me, what do you think of this platform? They're huge. They're making lots of money. 
they have coaches with two years of, of experience working with people. There's no evaluation there. Answering I, a couple of questions is not a re-eval, eval. It needs to be done every visit. So that's a great point. And PTs got to grab that and emphasize that our PTs evaluate, re-evaluate each and every visit. They're not just doing some, like, again, you know, um, we off air before we started, we talked about our patient population. When we get that diagnosis of rotator cuff tear, 50% of the time, our clinicians flipped it to the neck. It was a neck problem, not the rotator cuff tear showed up on the MRI. And that MRI to me is, is the biggest sales funnel to have surgery mm-hmm. because your MRI is just a black and white picture. doesn't tell you what's causing pain. And our clinicians were able to say, whoop, nope, that's a neck problem. Now, if they go under a platform where it's a rotator cuff, you know, it's on an MRI, they're going to get rotator cuff exercises or shoulder exercises. Mm-hmm. How do we know they're getting better? And they could get better with time, but our clinicians are able to flip that. And that's what's key. That's the future. I agree with you. The future is the diagnosis. Go and ahead. I'm- I, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. And what we're seeing is an inappropriate use of the term physical therapy. So- yeah. We have a lot of companies and rehab. Out there pur- and rehab. Yeah, purporting to provide physical therapy and rehab when all they're doing, to your point, Dr. Donaldson, is providing interventions with no appropriate assessment and determination of the issue that the patient is presenting with. And that's where our APTA, we've got to catch that and emphasize that, the evaluation part. That's the, the most important thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we ran out of time. Oh, so Dr. Tom, one last thing. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add that there have been two different studies spaced over 10 years apart of surveys of researchers in low back pain, asking them what direction should we be going in research? And both surveys, 10 years apart, the number one thing was, can we identify subgroups and reliably? And, and that is not routinely done in the one size fits all types of paradigms. And so can we identify subgroups? And to, to show that we can, we need to do reliability studies that we can determine who's a member of that subgroup and who isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fundamental. Uh, and, and it's being ignored in favor of still continuing to do randomized controlled trials of nonspecific low back pain. Yeah. which is such a total waste, but it's the focus of spine clinical research. I would say that's the minimum we should be doing. And, and so subgroup classification, but then also ruling out serious conditions up front by using research-based algorithms with 100% sensitivity, and then also evaluating psychosocial, which is a whole nother conversation. But I really think that's where things are going moving forward is subgrouping based on psychosocial factors and um, risk category. Yeah, there's many different ways to subgroup. Yes. Yeah. Well, this was an amazing panel and I love um, the discussion here. It looks like to sum it up that tele-rehab definitely has a strong future. Um, It's not for everyone, but it has a very strong future. The physical therapy um, world is evolving to adapt. Our clinicians are getting... um, more involved in diagnosing and they are able to diagnose and our schools, it sounds like we're putting more emphasis, emphasis on that, on that. So for just to sum up in the future, I do see that PT's role as being the gatekeeper for musculoskeletal and tele-rehab gives them instant, that patient instant access to that um, preferred provider 
to get the best outcome. Well, I wanna thank you all very much. And I know everybody's gonna want information on um, some of the data that's been published, um, some of our panelists, where they can be, um, you can get in touch with them. We're gonna provide all of that at the end of this presentation. Thank you each of you very much.